0: be seated. Take a moment and pray. Father, thank you so much for this time we get to gather to be with you. And Lord, we're asking in this time that you would speak and move in power and strength, that you would change us, that you transform us, that somehow meeting you in this moment could even be different than yesterday or the week before. So open our hearts, open our minds to receive what you want to speak. And let us leave here different from the way we came in because we met with you. and We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been talking about these habits. We're in a series of the five habits of every disciple. And uh, we're going to continue through this series for a few more weeks. And habits are simply this. Habits are these simple behaviors that we have in our everyday life. And when we think of the word habit, often we think of what kind of habits? Bad habits, right? That's when we associate habits with like, you know, I got all these bad habits. <laughs> or too many bad habits. <laughs> too many things that, that are, 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 are keeping my life in this place that's separating me from the things I really want to accomplish or do in my life. And when we talk about habits, what we're really saying is, oh, what are these spiritual habits? What are these spiritual disciplines that I could put in my life as a disciple? But we associate with these habits and things that we do in our daily behaviors. And what we're looking at is on that pathway of discipleship, you go through these different habits that we apply to our lives that transform us. And what I promise you is if you begin to apply these different habits, they become part of your regular routine, your daily life. As you add them into your life, as you grow in them, they will push out the bad ones. They'll begin to extinguish those ones that have control and keeping us from growing as a disciple in Christ. And that's what we're called to do. And if you remember, the, uh, the first week, two weeks ago, was a habit of connect. And that we're to remain connected in that fellowship, that relationship with God, and we're connected to one another. That he says, I am the vine, you're the branches. And if that's true, then we're grafted into this eternal relationship with God. And by the way, the other branches grafts us into an eternal relationship with one another. And that's why it's so important that we're connected to who he is in our life and we're connected to one another. We love him and we're loving each other. That that fellowship is coming together to build that relationship through connect. Last week we spoke about prayer and the importance of, of prayer first in our life and how do we make that connection. And prayer is simply being in communion with God. It's how we come to be in that communion, that relationship with God. Prayer is where we learn how to walk with God. And we're changed as a result of developing that communion, that relationship, that guidance, that wisdom, and how we hear from God. And we have to have that, that habit of prayer in our life. It's another essential place that we have to continue to connect and grow is in prayer. Today we want to talk about serve, the the serve habit. And the serve habit is how God reaches others through our hands. Isn't that incredible? That God has a desire to reach others through us. And how he's going to use our hands and why it is incredibly important that we understand how we serve and why we serve. And when we serve, it's not only meeting the needs of the people that we're encountering, but when we serve, it's also expressing how we give thanks to God for what he's done in our life. And when we give thanks to God by serving others, those that we serve around us, too, will come to a place to give thanks to God as a result of us serving, as us expressing who he is to others. And we serve others because he first served what? Us. That's why we do it. We, we serve because he first served us. We love because he what? First loved us. And we read in the Gospel, John chapter 3, about Nicodemus and this encounter that he has with Jesus. And Nicodemus is a Pharisee, a religious ruler. And something was going on in Nicodemus's heart about this Jesus guy that, that began to stir. And as a result of that stirring and the questions that he began to happen What he did was he snuck out in the middle of the night because he couldn't be seen meeting with Jesus. Not as a Pharisee. They weren't really excited about the ministry he was doing. He was disrupting their plans. And with the signs and wonders they were counting and teaching that was incredible and unfolding the scriptures in a way that was changing the way they understood the kingdom of God, Nicodemus sneaks out and has a meeting with Jesus and begins to ask these questions. He's trying to define who are you for real? Because I'm seeing these things with my eyes. I know what the scriptures tell me as a Pharisee, but who really are you? And he begins to unfold this doctrine of faith that, that you have to come to believe. And he begins to tell Nicodemus, you must be born again. And as smart as he was, and as sound as the doctrine was in his life, he's going, that's crazy. You can't be born again only once. What do you mean by this? born of spirit and water. You must be born again, that there has to be this transformation in your life that's going to take place. And you've got to come to believe this very thing. And he goes on to explain this to Nicodemus. And then the man standing right in front of him is who he's talking about to Nicodemus when he says in John 3:16, which you know and you're familiar with, but we've got to really get that understanding of what Jesus told him. And in verse 16, he says what? For God so loved the world that he gave what? His only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have what? Eternal life, everlasting life. The most, ex- the most profound expression of the love of God for us was the gift of his son, our Savior. Was the gift that he gave to us, his only son. The word love there in that text, in John 3.16, signifies a love that seeks to give itself away. It's a love that only knows how to give it away. And that's what he's saying, that he's going to give up his life. That he loves us so much that he's going to give up his life. That it's a love that's so profound he's going to give it. Away. In other words, that it's a love that seeks the best interest in the objects while seeking nothing for itself in return. So I'm loving outwardly and I seek nothing in return for that love. that it's just being poured out outwardly, that I'm loving you outwardly in that way, that we would understand that love. And when we come to A covenant of marriage we begin to understand or we try to begin to understand and we try to begin to learn and after you're married for some years you start to learn different things about love that you didn't know before you start to learn how to grow in love but really the challenge there is is in a covenant of marriage or in a relationship with one another is how do I out love you it's kind of like a contest I bet you I could love you more And I don't want anything back. It's not a matter of, why won't you love me back? It's not that. It's, It's how do I give it? How do I express it to that object, to that person? And I don't want anything in return. And Jesus gave himself up as a ransom. He paid that debt. He paid that price for us. That's what the scripture means. That's what the text means. That he demonstrated his love for us by going to a cross. Even though he was innocent. Jesus was willing to give up his life to be that ultimate sacrifice for our sins. That he would lay himself down. That was love expressed. And the greatest expression of that love and selflessness is the cross. When you look to a cross, what you want to see is love and selflessness of who Jesus was and what he did for us as a result of our sin. To bring reconciliation, to bring healing, to give a gift of eternal life. John's gospel is crystal clear. What Jesus is telling us is God didn't send his son into the world to condemn it. That's not why he sent Jesus. I know we have bad theology when we just think we got a gotcha God. We don't have a gotcha God. We have a I love you God. And he loves us so much that we want to respond to that love and and that the world would be saved through Jesus And it wasn't for this condemnation. But those who believe are not condemned, he says. But there are those who do not believe that reject that truth, and they are condemned because they're in this darkness, that there's no gray area of of faith. It's it's either darkness or light, that he makes it clear. Believe in the Son of God and come into his truth, into his light, or remain in darkness. Those are the two choices that you have. And when we're in darkness, darkness is self-serving. You don't want to serve anyone else. We serve ourselves, and that's why we're in darkness. And we're in that darkness because we love darkness. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in it. Yes, we're deceived. Yes, we're in this place where we can't have hope and faith, and we're we're caught in this love of the darkness, but also that we become slaves to that darkness. And That hopelessness grows, but there's a clear choice. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, there's a choice you have to make between the two. There is no gray area. And and if, if you don't know that, then that truth and that light is not in you. But you have to decide. Now, I want to take a moment right now, and I want you to hear this, hear this, what Jesus came to do. It doesn't matter how far into the darkness you are. It doesn't matter how grave your sin is. It doesn't matter how broken, tattered, beat up Busted up you are. The light of the world came to pierce your darkness. That's the truth. That's why he loved us. That's what he expressed. That's what he did. And it's a lie from the pit of hell from the enemy that wants to keep you in that place of darkness. And we can't no longer believe those lies. And we have to understand how he demonstrated his love for us and that love that was existing just to give away. The light of the Lord had came, it pierced that darkness. And when the light of the Lord comes into your life, you're no longer ruled by darkness. We're no longer ruled by that, but we're no longer bound by a spirit of pride. And really, that's what it happens, that we're so prideful that we're willing to hold on to that darkness versus allowing that light into our lives. But we, we no longer have to hold on to that pride and let darkness rule and reign in our life if the truth and light has now come, and you let that into your life. You are transformed. You are changed. And what happens is, we go from pride to humbling ourselves. And realize that, 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 that he can do it in my life, and let that truth and light come into my life. And Jesus goes on to teach Nicodemus, and he tells him this in verse 21. He says, But he who does truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, and that they... Have been done in God. That those deeds were clearly seen. They've been done in God. What Jesus was teaching is that when you become born again, a new creation, his light, his truth has come into your darkness. You're transformed. And what happens is now you're committed. You're dedicated to his truth. And that light comes forth in your life. And that light comes forth in your life and leads us to an action. That there's a response to who he is. And when we serve, our actions are evidence that God came into this world. When that truth is known, when we we allow that truth and light into our lives, our action becomes evidence that God exists. Think about that. In a way that we serve the smallest thing to the greatest thing, it doesn't matter the measure of it, but when we do it in his name, when we do it as a result of being transformed by that truth and life, and we accept that truth, that now we live our lives to serve the one who saved us from our darkness. And then we bring that light of the world into others' lives that those little actions are evidence that God exists, that we get to go through the day and be used by the Lord of lords, the King of kings, and be evidence to other people who are in that darkness. Because you know what he wants to do? He wants to send us out to bring that truth and light into others, that they can be set free. And what does it do? It brings evidence to who he is. Not about us. It's about what he's done for us. It's about how he's changed us. See, we don't serve to get saved. We serve because it's by grace through faith we are saved. And there's a difference. There's a distinction there. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it says, For grace you've been what, church? Saved through what? Faith. And that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Not of works. Not of yourself. In other words, you could do it yourself. If you could save yourself, you don't need a savior, do you? So Christianity is not a self-help program. It's a surrender your life program. And recognize that, because if I could do it myself, I wouldn't be here this morning. I would stay home. I, would, I don't need any of this if I could do it myself. But here's what happened. I tried, didn't work. Matter of fact, It went really bad. (laughs) And I tried a lot of different. Man, if I could just really help myself. Paul's saying you can't. There's no way you could do it yourself. And then he goes on and says, matter of fact, it's not going to be by some magical works that you do that proves your faith to God. So it's not what we do that, that wins us salvation. It's what we surrender. And then when we surrender... As a result of that, he goes on to explain what happens. He goes on, it's not by those works that unless anyone should boast, because we can't boast, because it's about what he did. And if we're going to boast, we're going to boast about him, not about ourselves, because we couldn't do it ourselves. He says in verse 10, for we are his what, church? Workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good Good works is how we serve. That there's a response of who he is, if I believe what he did for my... that he saved me from darkness and brought truth and light, that I respond by those good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, that we should go in them, that we should do them. That that's the point of of what he's done for us. We respond to it. And when you believe that's true... No one should be able to shut you up about that truth. But that we would go about each day recognizing that when we serve, it's evidence that God exists in what he's doing in our life. And the habit of serving just becomes part of our daily life. And we begin to serve first of those in our home. We serve our neighbors and those in our community. And then we serve within the church. Those are the places that we've got to learn to serve. believe in all my heart, it starts first at home. How do I serve at home? What do I do? Mother Teresa said, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. We want all these things. We want revival, Lord. We want to see a great awakening, and we're not loving our family. We're not serving our family. If you want to see that radical change, go home and figure it out. Go home and figure out how to love and serve unconditionally. When we begin to do that, we begin to see great things happening as a result of the evidence of who God is as we serve one another at home. And then we go into our community, and what I can promise you is you begin to serve your neighbors and those around you. That evidence becomes true. They will take notice. That we're doing something as a response to who God is, that we're paying attention to those who live around us in ways that we can be Uh, that that truth and light into their lives, they'll notice. And they're either going to run to you or they're going to run away from you, but they're going to notice. And the third thing is in the church. We're a community that we gather together, and we're that evidence as a body of Christ, of who he is, for others to see. And there's a host of ways that you can get involved and have a purpose in the church. But it's not like, well, I chose to serve home, so I'm not going to do community and church. Or I serve something at the church, so I'm not going to do home and community. It's all of the above. It's becoming that servant, one who's serving as a result of how he first served us. As a result of what he did first and foremost for us. You know, it's a year ago today that we shut down. This Sunday, this weekend, is one year ago. And we believed that that man, you know, we'll shut down for two weeks, we'll flatten the curve, and we'll get back to normal. And what I can tell you as a pastor, pastoring over 20 years, that there is no policy and procedure manual that exists for churches when a pandemic comes. Go to page 225, section A, paragraph two, and it'll explain. It wasn't written. Because last time we experienced it was over 100 years ago, and no one thought to write something out. Hey, when these things happen, and what happened in the midst of that was incredible. And what I mean by what was incredible was that there was a leadership There were people who were saying that we're not going to allow this not to be an opportunity to give God glory. We're not going to allow this. And what happened is we pivoted, and we had to make changes. And it was difficult. It was beyond an interruption. It was a disruption. And it's still disrupting our lives. And there is suffering, and there is a challenge in the midst of that suffering. But there's also perseverance as a result of that, which builds our character and then gives us this hope that will not disappoint And we've pressed in, and I couldn't be any prouder of the leadership and those who continued in giving courses online or making now hybrid or those who minister in music or in the back to project and to bring a video to those who are at home. And you can't imagine. It was a massive learning curve. But there was such a willingness to serve because he first served us. And we're not quitting. We're not going to lock the key and say, see you when it's over. That his kingdom continues on. And we should be more hopeful now than we were a year ago. Not less hopeful. We should be more representing that evidence of who he is, not less. And we can all do it some way. Maybe you're homebound right now and it's been difficult and you're weary and don't grow weary, but you can do something. You can make phone calls. You can still connect from home. Or maybe you have some time in other areas. But I'm telling you that one of the habits of a disciple is the willingness to continue to serve because he first served us, because he first loved us, because of what he's done for us. That's the only way that we can respond if light and truth has come into your life. If you believe John 3.16 is true, And you accept that, knowing you shouldn't be held back in any way, shape, or form in your life on how you could give back for what God has done in your life. And we all have a role to play, we all have parts. I don't have time to get in all the different spiritual gifts, but you know what your gifts are, you know where your strengths are, and you know how God wants to use you. And don't overlook the smallest thing that you might do to have a greater impact that will change the course of someone's life as a result of being faithful and serving. So there are three areas. Go home serve. In our community, serve. Within the church, you can serve. You can go to the website. You can find some areas that need help, and you can say, what can I do to better advance God's kingdom, to bring that evidence to others as a result of it? And I couldn't be prouder of the worship team of figuring out how to get online or how to make these things happen, but we believe that God had to be uh, uh, glorified and that we couldn't just allow this time to push us back, but we'll figure out a way how to push forward. And God gave grace as a result of that. And one of the things that we do, uh, we recognize, is that no longer do I have to be a spectator, that I'm coming to spectate what happens, but God has called me to be a participator, that I'm to participate in this kingdom and serve in some capacity in some way. And today we're celebrating the commissioning of Stephen's ministry, which I'm really excited about. Something we started just before the pandemic, that we were going to equip and train people. And today we're, we're uh, 25 uh, new people are being commissioned, which I think will be close to 40 people through the pandemic that have been equipped and trained for Stephen's ministry. And Stephen's ministry, what it does is provide high quality care one-on-one care a christ-centered care to people's lives how we can love on one another and come into that moment in their life and that's what they're equipped for and that's what they're trained for and i couldn't be any prouder of mary persons who persevered during a pandemic and taught multiple (laughs) classes you know pre-pandemic she came to me and she goes you know father there's things going on around the church but what can i do to serve it's like a pastor's dream. <laughs> you know, people lining up at your door, you know, I'm here, what can I do? What would have the greatest impact? How can I serve? Because how he served me. And we put this in motion. Why? Because it's, it's the building of Christ's kingdom. It's equipping the saints. And now we have 40 trained and equipped individuals who are going to love on others and be evidence that God exists. And I couldn't be more excited about that. You can go to the website look at it and look at the next training course. And that's how we're going to have an impact in our home, how we're going to have an impact in our communities, how we have an impact in our church. Make serving a habit. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we can't do it on our own. And um, we need you more than anything to teach us. You are the greatest servant that ever lived. And you first served us. Forgive us. Forgive us where we've let busyness or distractions or selfishness or any of those areas in our life that held us back from serving. Lord, you told Nicodemus that he had to make a decision. Either stay in darkness or come to light. And maybe you're sitting here today or you're watching online and you've been in that place of darkness, that you haven't let the truth and light into your life. And what I want you to hear is that God did love the world to give his only son, that Jesus wasn't re- doing what he did to force you into a relationship. He was doing what he did because he loved us and he wanted to reconcile us to himself. And only he could be that perfect sacrifice to redeem us. And if you believe that's true, you've got to make a decision in your life to begin to follow after him to become that disciple, to put these habits. But first, got to pray and ask him in that way. Push out that pride. Humble yourself to receive who he is. Seek that forgiveness in this moment. He'll meet you in this moment and change your life. So if you'd like to know him in that way or pray to know him in that way, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond. You don't have to pray outwardly. You can pray to yourself. You're at home right now. Just repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my heart, and I ask you to come in. Take control of my life and make me the person you want me to be. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, if you prayed with me and you're here or you're watching online, please let us know. Why? Because we're committed to coming alongside of you on this pathway of discipleship where you'll find God's perfect purpose and plan for your life. Amen. Peace of the Lord be with you. Yes. Acknowledge one another with a sign of God's peace. Okay, hey Derek. Amen. Peace.